knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Last week, we started our third section in the book of Exodus, uh, which focuses on the call of Moses and his second 40 years in Midian. So his first 40 years are in Egypt, his second 40 years in Midian, and he ends his first 40 years by killing an Egyptian, and he flees Egypt because the Pharaoh wants to kill him since he killed that Egyptian, and he goes to Midian, and as he gets there, he's at a well, and there's these seven daughters there, and he helps them get water, and their dad's all excited about it, and he comes, and he meets this man named Jethro, and Jethro says, hey, you can live with me, you can live with my family. Jethro gives him his daughter, Zipporah, they get married, Uh, they have a son named Gershom, and then he starts working for Jethro. He's a shepherd for Jethro, he's watching his flocks, and he's doing this for 40 years. Uh, So he has 40 years in Egypt, and now he's a shepherd for 40 years. And during this time, God's been working in in him and changing him. And we're going to, we've been seeing the changes because in Egypt, he thought, you know what, I'm the deliverer. I can do this. I can handle this. I'm going to kill this Egyptian. The people are going to recognize that I'm God's deliverer. And, you know, he tried in his own strength and power to do what only God could do through him. And now he's gone to Midian. He's just a lowly shepherd. He was a prince of Egypt and he's been humbled and he has a very different perspective of himself. And he's, you know, tending sheep and all of a sudden he sees this bush. He's up on Mount Sinai and this bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And he goes to get a closer look and the Lord speaks to him through the bush and tells him who he is uh, and tells him what he has called Moses to do. And Moses' initial response to that news is, is who am I that, that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that you should give me such a, a huge task like this? And God responds ultimately by revealing, hey, it doesn't matter who you are because I'm going to be with you. But we see a big change. Before, Moses was like, I'm the man. I can handle this. I can deliver the nation of Israel. And now he's like, who am I? I can't do this. I can't handle this. And so in these 40 years, he's humbled and the perspective of his own self-will and power has changed in a good way. And now he's ready for God to use him. Uh, and so Moses is concerned, you know what, God, if I go to the Israelites, they're not going to believe me. They didn't believe me last time that I would be their deliverer. And so they won't believe me this time. And God says, no, they will believe you. I promise you, Moses, they're going to believe you. And so that's kind of where we end chapter three. And tonight we're going to finish this section on the call of Moses in this second 40 years in Midian in the first 17 verses of chapter four. And as we look at this, we're really going to see a struggle that Moses has. God is giving Moses a call 
to do something specific and also something quite big. I want you to be the man I used to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And we're going to see that Moses struggles with it. He struggles with receiving and accepting. And we're going to see a lot of different things that he does that kind of say, you know what, I really don't want this, Lord. Uh, and I think we can learn a lot from this because God calls us to things a lot. And what we see in the response of Moses, unfortunately, is very typical of the way in which we often respond to the way in which God calls us as well. And so there's a lot we can learn. There's an example here of what not to do, but through that, hopefully, we will also see the opposite of what we should do. So let's see what we can learn starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, which says this. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they said, The Lord has not appeared to you. Now remember the last thing that God says is Moses says, you know, oh, oh, what if they don't, what if they don't believe me? And God says, they will. I promise that they are going to listen to you, Moses. They are going to accept the message that I give to you. And now we start here in the chapter four with, well, wait a second, Lord. What if they don't? What Moses is ultimately saying is, what is you, what if you're wrong? Or what if what you said isn't true? I know you told me that they'll listen to me, but what if they don't? Listen to me. What if they don't accept me like you said that they would? And so Moses is really struggling with this reality here of trusting the Lord. Uh, and this is something that, you know, he, he's dealing with. He, he doesn't really trust that what God says and what God promises will actually happen. And, you know, David Guzik wrote, it was good when Moses had no confidence in the flesh, but it was bad that he lacked confidence in God. In view of the burning bush, the voice of God, and the divine encounter, there was no place for Moses to say, but. So Moses is struggling to believe what God says is actually true, will actually come to pass. And sadly, this is something I think that we all struggle with as well. There are certain promises in God's Word. There are certain things that He reveals to us or declares to us or says to us. And, you know, we know what it's saying, but yet there's times when we just say, you know, I don't know if I really believe it. I don't know if I really trust that that's true. I don't know if that's really going to happen for me and my situation and what's going on. And so God's specific with Moses. Hey, as you go to the nation of Israel, they are going to listen to you. They are going to believe that I sent you. Oh, I don't think that's going to happen. Because my experience before says something different. You know, I was the prince of Egypt. I was the man, and they didn't believe me then. Now I'm just a lowly shepherd. I mean, why would they believe me now? And he's struggling with actually believing that God could use him and that God could do this. And so he's like, Lord, I don't know if I really buy into the fact that, that you can do this. And we do this as well. You know, God will promise us, hey, I'll provide for you. And in a certain situation, it comes to pass, and we go, Lord, but, but what if you don't? What if you don't provide for me? I'm not really sure that you're going to do it. Or God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then we go through difficult times and we're like, but, but Lord, what if you do leave me? What if you do forsake me? Then where am I going to be left? Then what's going to happen to me? When we pose these questions, it just reveals something very clear. We're struggling to trust the Lord. That's what it is. I mean, when we ask those questions, it's fine to be honest and real. There's times that we pose them, but what that reveals is, I don't trust you like I should. I don't trust what you say right now. This circumstance, this situation, it's just hard for me to really believe what you're telling me. And Moses is just being real with God. Now, God could have rebuked him. 
Could have rebuked him for his lack of faith. He could have said, hey, I'm never wrong. How dare you doubt me? God could have said, you know, I told you that they will believe you, so just go and listen to what I told you. God doesn't respond this way. He doesn't respond to Moses' lack of faith. Instead, he is going to help Moses. He realizes, Moses, you're struggling with trusting me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to help you trust me more. Instead of rebuking you for your lack of trust, I'm going to be gracious and help you so that you can get to the place where you do trust me instead of the place where you are presently where you don't. And look look what God does for Moses. And I think it should be an encouragement because it's what he does for us as well. Verse 2 says this. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So God asked Moses a question. Moses just says, hey, I don't really know if I can believe what you're saying, that they're going to you know, trust the words that I say to them. And so God says, all right, I'll help you in your trust of me. What's in your hand, Moses? A rod. Speaking of a shepherd's rod, the thing that he's been using for the last 40 years in his career, he has this shepherd's rod that he's been using to you know, work with the sheep. It's just a natural, practical tool that he's been using in his job. And before we get into what God does with that rod, I want you to note some important principle here regarding how God often uses people. God often chooses to use what's just in our hand presently. You know, sometimes we think like, okay, for God to use me, he's going to have to give me something different than what I already have. He's going to have to, you know, okay, there's going to have to be something completely different. I know I have these things and these things, but God's not going to use any of that. He's just going to completely do something new in order to do something great with my life. But we actually see throughout Scripture that God just takes what you actually have in your hand, like Moses' staff, and he uses that for his glory. He uses that for what he's calling us to do. We see several examples of this in the Bible. I'll give you a few of them. Uh, the judge Shamgar was a judge. And notice how God uses what's just in Shamgar's natural use on a daily occurrence in Judges 3.31. He says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. Now, if you're going to fight a battle and you're going to fight 600 guys, you know, get a sword, get a spear, get a real weapon. But what does God use? He uses what was in this guy's hand. He was a farmer. And in order to sow the seed, they would have oxes. An ox goad was just like a pointy stick. You poke them, poke them, get them to go where you want. Oxes are stupid animals. They don't go where you want. So you got to use this to goad them. Hey, no, you got to go down here so we can, you know, put the rows of seed this way. And so this is what this guy has in his hand. That's what he was. He's a farmer and God uses it. Hey, I'm going to take what's in your hand and I'm going to empower you to kill 600 of these Philistines so that you can protect the nation of Israel. And he didn't say, hey, I'm going to take that from you and I'm going to give you a nice brand new shiny sword and then we're going to go wipe out those Philistines. No, God said, I'm just going to use what you got. And I can take that and I can do great things through it. Probably the most famous example is the example in David's hand. 1 Samuel 17, 49. Then David put in his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. David was a shepherd. And as a shepherd, he protected sheep. 
He protected it from lions. He protected it from bears with what? A slingshot. And so as he comes to fight Goliath, remember he even put on Saul's armor and it was too big and it was too heavy and he had Saul's shield and Saul's sword and the thing that you would think, hey, that's what you're going to go into battle with. And God's, no, I'm just going to use what's in your hand naturally, David. You're a shepherd and you got a slingshot. Let's go out with that. Slingshot, stone, we know the story, hits Goliath in the head, boom, he's dead. Another example is in the life of Jesus. John 6, 9, we see a small boy has something that Jesus uses in an amazing way. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? See, in this uh, portion of the Scripture, the disciples don't think Jesus can use what's in this little boy's hand. I mean, yeah, he's got his lunch. You know, he's got loaves of bread and some little fish. But, I mean, what can that do among all these thousands of people who are hungry? God says, hey, I'm going to use what's in this little boy's hand to feed all these people. So with all these things, we see this regular example of God taking what's in our hands. Maybe it's a computer. Maybe it's a keyboard. Maybe it's a hammer. You know, whatever tool that we're we're regularly using in our work and our job. And God says, you know, I'm going to take this and I'm going to use this for my glory, to work in the field that you're already in. And here in chapter 4, God uses what's in Moses' hand, the shepherd's rod. And God's going to do some amazing things as we look at the next several chapters with this rod. But here He does some things just for Moses' sake. Moses, you need to see some stuff because you're struggling to trust in me. So here's the first thing I want you to do, Moses. Throw that rod on the ground. Okay? He's probably just expecting the rod just to hit the ground. doesn't know what to expect. And boom, the rod turns into a snake. And right away, he does what most of us would do. He flees from that thing because, I mean, that would be quite freaky. You throw this rod down and boom, there's a snake. And like, what is going on here? So he runs away. He doesn't want to get bit by the snake. Uh, but then God asks Moses to do something that's actually going to build trust because Moses is struggling trusting God. And notice what God asked Moses to do. Pick the snake up by the tail. Now, if you've ever worked with snakes... That's the last place you want to pick a snake up by. You want to get them behind the head so they can't bite you. You grab them by the tail, they can just swing right back around and take you. So, you know, this is like, all right, grab this snake by the tail, Moses. <laughs> what? <laughs> we already know he's afraid of him. He fled from him. And so now this is a step of faith, a step of trusting the Lord. All right, Lord, you made this snake. I'm going to come. And Moses does it. He grabs the snake by the tail. And all of a sudden, boom, it's a rod again. And so this is the first sign that God gives. But notice it's for a specific purpose because he's answering this question. Moses struggles with trust. Lord, but but what if what you're saying isn't true? What if the Israelites don't listen to me? I don't know if I can trust you. And so God says, hey, notice what he tells Moses. Verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord, their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Moses, this sign's for you. When they see it, they're going to believe. Trust it. I mean, look at what you just saw. You just saw a staff turn into a snake and then back to a staff. I can do the miraculous. And this was to help Moses get to a place of, I don't know if I can trust you, Lord, to a place of, all right, I know that you can do what you say you will do. And you would think, this is all I need, man. I mean, for us, if we saw a stick turn into a snake and back to a stick again, I mean, I'm sure we'd be like, whoa, Lord, you can do crazy things. All right, I'm going to do what you tell me to do, but God's not done. And I think God recognizes that Moses has got some issues with trust. And so he's like, I'm going to give you even more than this, Moses. And so he continues with it. Verse 6, Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom, 
And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe either two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So first God tells him, throw the stick down, it turns into a snake, pick it up, it turns back into a rod. Now he says, put your hand in your bosom. Put your hand ultimately on your chest, in your shirt there, pull it out. And I'm sure that was a pretty freaky thing. He pulls it out, and all of a sudden, his hand is leprous, white as snow. It's just completely full of leprosy. And at that time, this is one of the scariest, worst possible diseases he gets. You know, so that would have been scary in itself. Like, what is going on? And then God said, okay, put it back in. And now pull it out. And it's just all back to normal. His hand's, you know, restored. And so God tells him, hey, now I want you to realize something, Moses. This is for you again. Notice verse 8. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, as in the words that you speak to them, nor heed the first sign of the stick turning into a snake, they will believe the message of the latter sign. So God's saying, hey, i got two signs for you, Moses. You're going to come and you're going to speak to them. And if they're not willing to believe that I sent you, then fine. Throw down your staff. It's going to turn into a serpent. And most of the people are going to be like, whoa, God did send you. And if they're still stubborn ones, Put your hand in your shirt and pull it back out and show them how leprous it is and then do it again and show them it clean. And then, you know, a majority are going to believe that. But if there's still some stubborn ones, the Lord says there's another thing that I want you to do. For those who won't listen to you or the first sign or the second sign, there's going to be a third one. And this one, verse 9. And it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Now, we read this, sometimes we think of Moses turning the water into blood. But this is actually totally different than that, because that's something that does happen and then is you know changed. This doesn't change. God's saying, if those first two signs don't work, remember, this is for the nation of Israel to believe that Moses was sent by God. He just says, take some of it, come into the dry land, pour it out in the sand, and I'm going to take that water that's poured out, and I'm going to turn it into blood. But notice the other two miracles, there are miracles where they're transformed back. The stick goes to a snake, back to a stick. The hand goes to leprosy, back to a hand. The blood, it just stays blood. And this is a sign of judgment. The first two are these transitional signs of like God's power, believe this. And the final one is, you know what? If they're not going to believe your words, and they're not going to believe the miracles, then there's only one thing left. That's the judgment. And I think this is interesting because even today we have the gospel presented, we have through the book of Acts miracles associated with it, and when people aren't willing to listen to the word and they're not willing to see the signs and the miraculous that with it and believe, they're only left with one last thing, and that is the judgment of God that's going to come because of their unbelief. And so God's saying here, the four things, ultimately your word, the sign of the staff turning into the stake, the hand and the leprosy, and then finally the sign of judgment. And all of this is gracious to Moses. It's, Moses, I'm doing this to help you go from a lack of trust to a place where you finally realize what I said is true. I will work so that the nation of Israel believes that I truly did send you. Trust me. And so now this hopefully 
help Moses with this. I'm giving you these signs so that you'll trust me. And this is something that we've seen throughout Scripture of people who are in Moses' shoes. Lord, I want to trust you, but I don't, and I need a sign. Gideon is a great example of this. And Gideon's a similar situation to Moses because it's one thing for God to say, you know what, I want you to, you know, teach little kids or lead a Bible study or, you know, those are significant and important. But yet when God says, I want you to deliver a whole nation who's in slavery, you're like, what? Gideon, God comes to him and says, Gideon, I want you to lead a little army against a massive army that's coming against you, the Midianites. Can you do it? Well, Lord, (laughs) I don't think so. I'm not really sure. Are you really calling me to do this? Well, you know what? How about this? If you're really calling me, I got something I need you to do. There's this fleece here at my house. And if tomorrow morning all the dew on the ground is dry and the fleece is just soaking wet, I'll believe you. Okay. He goes to bed, wakes up, the ground is dry, fleece is wet. Maybe he's thinking, oh, that could have just been a coincidence. That fleece could have just absorbed all the dew. All right, Lord, how about this? Let's reverse it. Tomorrow, if the fleece is completely dry and the ground is all wet, then I'll believe that you have called me to be your commander. And so, next morning, once again, God does what he asked. And notice with both of them, God didn't say, I'm not giving you those signs. I've told you to do this, now just obey. God recognized, Gideon, you need this. You're struggling with trusting me, and so I'm going to help you trust me. I'm going to show you these signs so that you can trust me more. And it gets Gideon to a place where he does trust He is the commander, and God does what he said he would do. He takes a little army to destroy a large one. Moses is in that place. Lord, I don't know if I can trust you, and God says, fine. I'm going to show you these signs as a gracious and merciful God that I am to help bring you to a place of trust so that you can be confident that what I say will actually happen. So now you would think, all right, this is going to take place, you know, Moses is now ready to go. God's shown him all this stuff, and surely he's going to accept it. Surely he's going to say, all right, let's do it. Send me. I'm ready to be what you've called me to be. But he's still not in that place. He's still struggling with doing what God has called him to do. And notice how he responds in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Remember Moses' first question. It deals with himself. Uh, Who am I that I should be the one called to go up to Pharaoh and and tell him to let your people go? I'm not able to do what you called me to do. And God's response is, hey, it's not about who you are. It's about who's with you. I'm with you. I'll take care of it. Don't you worry. Then his next question is to do with the Israelites. Well, Well, what if they don't believe me? What if they're you know, not willing to accept that I'm going to be the deliverer? And God promises, they will. I'll make sure that happens. His third question has to do with God. Well, God, what if you don't, what if you're lying? What if you're not telling the truth? What if what you say is wrong? God responds with these miracles to show that you can trust me, Moses. And now Moses is once again coming back to himself. But no longer is he asking a question. Now he's making an excuse. Well, Lord, I, I can't do this because I'm not eloquent in my speech. Uh, you know, I don't speak well, and so I can't do this. But you know what? Notice what he says. I'm not eloquent neither before 
nor since you've spoken to your servant. So he's making a quite a big statement. He's saying, I have never been eloquent of speech. Never in my life, before you spoke to me or now, I've never been able to speak well. And, you know, that's really what you're asking me to do, right? You're asking me to go to Pharaoh, be your voice. Go to the Israelites, be your voice. Maybe you should find someone else who has a better voice because I don't speak well. So he's throwing out this excuse as to why he can't do what God has called him to do. Now, this is kind of interesting because this is really not a valid excuse. We're going to see that regardless if it was true, it wouldn't really matter. But I don't even think it's a true statement because in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, we're told this. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. According to this verse, when Moses was 40 years in Egypt, not only was he learned in all the ways of the Egyptians, but he was mighty in words. Oh, well, a man who's mighty in words doesn't have an issue speaking. He's actually mighty in words, but he's claiming, I've never been able to do that. Now, it'd be one thing if he said, you know what, I used to be eloquent in Egypt, but man, these 40 years working with these sheep, I haven't used any of that. I can't speak like I used to. Well, that might be a little more realistic, but he's making this extreme statement of, I have never been able to speak, and I can't do it now, Lord, so, hey, I have this excuse as to why you can't use me. But God's going to help Moses see that any limitation, whether they're real or whether they're made up, it's not going to stop God from using him. Notice how God responds. And once again, very gracious. You know, if it was me and I'm trying to get someone to do this and they keep bringing these excuses and they keep bringing these questions, and they keep bringing all this. Yeah, they're probably set in some frustration of like, just believe me. What's wrong with you? But God's just continually gracious. And here, as Moses makes this excuse, Notice what God does. Verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. So Moses' excuse is, I can't do what you're calling me to do because I don't speak well. And God's response is, Who's made man's mouth? I'm in the the mouth-making business. I'm the one who has given any person the ability to speak. So you're saying you can't speak? Well, well, guess what? I'm the one who's created it. I'm the one who's done that. Who makes the mute? Who makes the deaf? Who makes the seen? Who makes the blind? Have not I the Lord? So Moses' excuse is I can't speak well and God's response is that's okay. I can do make, still use you even if that is a limitation because I make mouths. I can handle this. God says, now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. You know, we often, like Moses, make excuses. Sometimes our excuses aren't valid ones. Sometimes our excuses are real. We feel, I'm inadequate. Uh, I can't speak well, or I don't have the much as much learning as I should, or, you know, I'm not the right personality for this, or, you know, uh, I have a really sinful past, or, you know, whatever it is that we want to use as an excuse for why God can't fulfill the call that He's given to us. And when those excuses come, we need to remember the God that we serve. And that's what God's doing for Moses. Hey, I'm the one who's created this. I'm the one who does this stuff. It doesn't matter what your limitation is because I can overcome any of that. 
God's the one who created our brain. He can teach us all we need to know. He's the one who gave us the voice. Oh, I don't do well in front of public speaking. Well, you know what? Hey, I'm the one who gives boldness. I'm the one who can speak through you. God's the one who gave us our personality. God's the one who dealt with our past sins. Whatever our excuses are, they're nothing. Any limitation that you and I have is ultimately irrelevant to what God is calling us to do because when we're dependent on Him to accomplish it, He's not limited. And that's what He told Moses to begin with. And He said, who am I? Hey, I'm with you. It doesn't matter your limitation because I'm not limited. And as long as I'm not limited, then I can do whatever I need to do to enable you to accomplish what I've called you to do. So Moses has asked questions about himself, about the Israelites, about God. He's made excuses about why he can't do what God has called him to do. And with all of these excuses, all of these questions, God has been patient. God has been gracious. But now here in verse 13, we're really going to see the ultimate reason why Moses doesn't want to do what God called him to do. Notice what he says. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. Finally, Moses is done with questions, done with excuses, and now we see the real state of his heart, the real issue he has with God's call. He just doesn't want to do what God's called him to do. He would rather that God would call anybody else but him. Lord, I don't care who it is. Give someone else this calling. Let someone else do this. I don't want to do it. Moses is finally just being honest. Yeah, you know, I have all these other things that I've thrown out there, but really at the crux of it all, I don't want to go. I'll just stay here and take care of these sheep. I'm, I'm fine. I've been doing it for 40 years. I don't want to go back to Egypt. I don't want to help deliver these people. Lord, just find someone else to fulfill the call that you have. So ultimately, Moses' problem isn't a lack of ability as he claimed. It's a lack of willingness. Moses was using questions. He was using excuses to get out of doing something he really wasn't willing to do in the first place. Benjamin Franklin said, It's common for men to give pretend reasons instead of one real one. You know, I think that's so often the way we are. We give pretend reasons like Moses is. Pretend reasons for why we can't do something. Pretend reasons for, you know, excuses or whatever it is. Instead of just being real. Here's the real reason. Here's why I really don't want to do this. And now we're getting to the real reason of Moses the real reason is he's just not willing. And sadly, that's the real reason for many of us. Oftentimes, we make excuses, we throw out a bunch of questions, but at the end of the day, it's just like, Lord, I just don't want to. That's what it is. I, I know you've called me to be this you know, person, you know, this husband, this wife, this father, this mother, this coworker. I know you've called me to love my enemies. I know you called me to do different things, but at the end of the day, I just don't want to. I don't like this person, and I, I don't want to forgive them, or I don't want to love them, or I don't want to do what you've told me to do, and I can put out excuses, and I can throw out, well, this is why I'm too weak in this area, and that's why I can't, or, or what if you don't give me the strength? But at the end of the day, the real reality is, I don't want to. I'm not willing to. It's a very bad place for us to be. Notice how God responds to Moses' unwillingness. And think about all the responses that he's had so far to Moses. Verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, 
Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words of in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and you and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. Notice this. When Moses reveals his unwillingness by saying, Lord, just use someone else. Anyone else. It's fine with me. I just don't want to do it. It causes the anger of God to be kindled against him. Now, this is interesting because God wasn't angry when Moses said, who am I? I mean, God, come on. Who am I to do what you've called me to do? God didn't get angry at that. God didn't get angry when Moses says, you know, well, well, who should I say sent me and, you know, will they actually believe me? God wasn't angry when Moses basically said, I don't believe you, Lord. I mean, what if what you say isn't true? What if it doesn't come to pass? I don't trust you. God wasn't angry then. God wasn't even angry when he falsely claimed, I don't speak well and I never have. But you know what? God was angry when Moses was just plain unwilling to do what God called him to do. And this is something that's so important for us. God's not looking for people with great ability. He's just looking for people who will make themselves available. Availability is the real key, not ability. You know, Moses made the excuse, of, oh, I don't have the ability. God said, that's okay. <laughs> you can be available. I'll take care of the ability part. I can, I'm not limited. I can handle that, no problem. The real issue, the real thing that hinders, the real thing that keeps us from doing what God's called us to do is that unwillingness. Is that I'm not available, Lord. I don't want to do this, God. I'm not going to do what you've called me to do. God can overcome any lack of ability, but not being willing to use will really hinder what He wants. You know, when I was in high school, one of my biggest fears, which is like many, was the fear of public speaking. I hated it. Even in some of the classes that I had, I just took F's and didn't get in front of the classes so I wouldn't have to do it. And that was just something that I feared, something that I hated. When I was in my junior year, I accepted Christ. And in my senior year, I felt like the Lord was saying that I needed to get up in front of my dad's church and give my testimony. And I didn't want to get up in front of people. And I didn't want to get up and share my testimony of you know, all the things I've done. And I just felt like God was really saying, no, you need to do this. This is going to be really important and good for the church to hear this. And so you know, I finally just make a commitment, tell my parents I want to do that. And I'm going up there, I'm shaking, thinking I don't have the ability to do this. I hate getting up in front of people. This is the worst thing. I need to get out of here. And I just felt like God saying, no, just trust me. It's all right. And I just kind of stumbled through it. And, you know, many people just, oh, I was so blessed to hear that. I'm like, oh, really? Um, and then I got involved with teaching kids. And once again, I was like, man, this is hard. You know, in front of a lot of people doing this. And, and God just saying, no, trust me with it. And then I went to the school of evangelism. And talking in front of crowds, that's not, you know, easy, but talking to strangers was even more something I didn't like to do. And in the school of evangelism, three days out of the week, guess what we did? We went on the streets and talked to strangers and shared the gospel. And so it was like really far out of my comfort zone. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to go talk to strangers. You know, I don't know what to even say. How do I get these conversations going? And once again, it's God just, just be available and watch what I'll do, how I'll use you in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your fears, in spite of all this. And as I just kept saying, Lord, I'll just make myself available. I was just always amazed in all of my faults and all of my weaknesses, 
how God was just able to give me strength and use me. And it's crazy now that I regularly stand up in front of people uh, and teach. But, you know, the Lord, if you'll make yourself available, he is not limited by you. Uh, and that's the thing that should encourage you that, hey, it's not about your ability. It's ultimately, will you make yourself available? Because that is the one thing that we realize God's not going to force you. You know, he's not going to be like, hey, I've called you, and whether you want to go or not, I'll grab you kicking and screaming. You're coming. If you say, Lord, I'm not willing, I'm not going, he's not going to force you. He's not going to make you. He'll keep working in you. He'll change you, but he's not going to force you to do what you're not willing to do. And so one of the biggest ways that we can really slow down and hinder the things that God wants to do through us is this place where we get to, where it's just like, I am not willing. And we often think, well, the thing that's really going to stop me is I just look at that person. God uses them because they have all this ability. And God uses them because, you know, look at that talent. And God uses them because, and the reality is, no. God uses people for the biggest reason of they just made themselves available. And as you get available, God actually starts to develop your gifts. And he starts to develop your talents. And you start to see that come out of you more. But guess what? It won't if you're never making yourself available for the Lord to use you. But you know what? In discipline, the Lord does something for Moses. I can't speak. That's why I'm not going to go fine. Don't you have a brother? Yeah, Aaron. I know he speaks well. Bring him over. I'll let him be the spokesperson for you. So I'll speak to you. You'll speak to Aaron. And then Aaron will speak to the people. And God allows this to ultimately get Moses to the place where he's finally willing to go. But this wasn't a blessing. This was really more of a discipline. This was not something actually good for Moses. would have been good if he said, all right, trust you, Lord, I'll do it. Uh, you speak to me, I'll speak to the people. Instead of you speak to me, then I'll speak to my brother, and my brother will speak to the people. David Guzik wrote this. When God brought Aaron to help lead with Moses, it was an chastising to Moses, not of his approval or giving in to Moses. Aaron was more of a problem to Moses than help. Aaron instigated the worship of the golden calf, fashioning the calf himself and building the altar himself. Aaron's sons blasphemed God with impure offerings. And at one time, Aaron openly led a mutiny against Moses. <laughs> I'm sure towards the end of Moses' life, when he looks back, he's thinking, <laughs> I should have just been the spokesperson. I mean, my brother has been a lot more problem than help. Uh, and, you know, when he's up there getting the Ten Commandments, he comes down, they're worshiping a golden calf. Who's leading it all? His brother. I mean, people come against him. Who's leading it? His brother. I mean, his brother had issues, but he wasn't willing to take this role himself, and so God says, fine, <laughs> I'll give you Aaron, and we'll see how that turns out for you. But uh, this was more of God just kind of disciplining Moses' unwillingness. But, you know, the big thing I want you to really see from this is, is God calls Moses just like he calls you and I, to do different things. And it could be something huge, like it was for Moses, and it could be something smaller. That's kind of irrelevant. At the end of the day, God's just wanting the right response to whatever He's calling us to do. And unfortunately, I think we can all relate to the responses that we see here with Moses. The first one being concerned about his own ability to accomplish the call. You know, we struggle with that. Lord, am I, am I able? Well, the answer is it doesn't matter. God is. Just trust Him. Second, we're concerned about how others will respond to the calling. Well, well, Lord, but what happens when I go to them and they don't listen, or I go to them and they persecute me, or I go to, hey, you know what? I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to take care of that. Just trust me. 
Concerned with whether we can trust God. This is the big issue. But what if you're wrong, God? What if you're not going to provide for me? What if you're not going to do this? What if it doesn't work out the way you say? Well, God then oftentimes helps us, works with us, shows us signs that we truly can trust Him. And then sometimes we just throw out those excuses. Lord, I can't do it. I mean, look at this. Look at that. There's no way you could use me. And all of them sadly sometimes lead to the worst thing of all. Just find someone else. You'd be so much better off. I mean, look at so-and-so. I mean, they're way more spiritual than me. Or this person would be a much better fit for this. And just, I'll just do what I'm doing. And you know what? I'm not willing. And that's the place where God then is going to start disciplining because that's the place where he gets angry. I can deal with everything else, but your unwillingness, that's the one area that I'm really going to have to work on you. Because God wants us in that place where we just make ourselves available and trust him. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. And I think this is something we need to remember. When God calls you, when He calls me, He is faithful. And we struggle with believing that sometimes. And the other thing we need to remember, He will do it. He who's begun a good work in you will complete it. we got to believe that. we got to trust that. God is able. God is capable All he needs from me, all he needs from you is to say, like Isaiah, here I am, send me. I'm available. It might be big. It might be overwhelming. Uh, I might have no clue how you're going to do it, Lord, but I know that you are powerful even when I am weak. You are wise even when I'm foolish. And so I'm just going to trust you and watch you work. And the great thing is, pretty much every single person in Scripture, we see this pattern of God using the weak, the foolish people that you would think, well, they have no business being used like that. Well, it's not because of them. It's because God is so great. God is so powerful, and He can do that with you and with me as well.